<laughs> Ruined my life. I love it. It's beautiful. All right, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Or you can just follow along on your, on your own Bibles, and, uh, on your devices, or on the screen. All the scriptures will be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse number 1. Then Jesus was led by the uh, Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Away from me, Satan, Jesus said, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Jesus never sinned. You know that. Jesus never sinned. Jesus overcame all temptation to sin. He defeated sin. Jesus defeated sin. Anybody want to be like Jesus? Defeated sin. And I think one of the biggest problems that we have here is that we have been taught that we have to sin, that we're only humans, that we can't help it. I've heard many people say, in fact, I've heard many preachers say, I know I sin every day, I'm not perfect. And we've heard that so much that I think we probably think that it's in the Bible, that the Bible says that you have to sin every day, and it doesn't say that at all. In fact, the Bible says almost exactly the opposite. And so today, we're going to look at what the Bible actually says about sin, about what it is, and about how to overcome it. And this is important because all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it also says in the book of Romans, in chapter 8 and verse number 37, that we have been made more than conquerors. Christians have been made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Now... That doesn't mean that we never sin. Everybody hear me say that? That doesn't mean that Christians never sin. What it does mean is we don't have to. All sin displeases God. All sin. All sin hurts you and hurts people around you, especially those who are closest to you. Your sin affects your family. And also, all sin hurts your witness. So do you understand? It is never okay to sin. And I hope that everyone today will recognize that sin is the enemy. But you do not have to continue to be defeated by it. You don't have to live with continual sin. You don't have to live with habitual sin. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're a Christian, or maybe you're not, but maybe you are a Christian. 
and you're struggling with this weak area in your life, and you think, well, that's just my thorn in the flesh, or that's just my area of weakness, and it's something that I've got to struggle with. That's not at all what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. You don't have to sin. So let's pray and ask God to show us what he's talking about today. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, strong son of God, trusting you to let your word go forth, not to return void, but to accomplish your purpose in every one of us. Have your way, God. Help us to learn more about you so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the first step in overcoming sin is understanding what the Bible says that sin is. So what is sin? And I want to share with you three very clear scriptures that define sin. And the first one is 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. And it says that sin is lawlessness. It is breaking God's laws. You understand that God created everything. And that he created everything from nothing, from nothing. And so he owns it all. He created it all, and he owns it all. He owns you. He owns your life. He owns every heartbeat. He owns every breath. He owns everything. So he gets to make the rules. He's the one who gets to make the laws, which we call in the Bible, the Bible calls commandments. And, of course, the best list of those commandments is the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17, 1 through 17, how many of you believe in the Ten Commandments? How many of you are doing your best with God's help to keep the Ten Commandments? How many of you can quote the Ten Commandments? Wait a minute, you just said you believed in them. You just said, yes, I am doing my best to, to obey the commandments. Well, what are they? You know, all, all those good things you're supposed to do. I told you, I think last year, at the beginning of last year, I preached to you, memorize scripture, that, that memory verses aren't just for kids. If you would just memorize one scripture verse a month, one per month, make sure it's a powerful one, next year you'll know 12 more powerful scriptures than you know this year. Memorize the scripture. And a good place to start is like with the Ten Commandments. You don't have to memorize everything about them. I, I taught my kids these when they were small, and here's how I taught them. Number one, the number one commandment is there is only one God. One God. There are no, have, you can have no other gods before me because there are no other. One real God. Then the second commandment is don't make any idols of me. Don't, don't, don't reduce me down to something that you can create with your hands. No idols. Then the third one is my name is holy. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. God's name is not for common use. Don't use God's name in just common use or common conversation. It's holy. That's why when Jesus taught us how to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, that means holy and honored, be your name. God's name is holy. Then the fourth one is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now for Israel, that was Saturday. For us, it's at least one day a week. Remember God worked six days creating everything. Then as an example to us, he took a day off, not because he was tired, because God doesn't get tired, but you do. And he says, take time off. In the fifth one, God says, honor your parents, your father and your mother. Even if you don't feel like you had good parents, God used them to give you life. And so just for that, you owe them honor because now that you have life, 
you can have eternal life. And without that life that you receive from your mom and dad, you wouldn't have this life. You wouldn't know God. Everybody understand? Honor your parents, your father and mother. And Paul adds to that in the New Testament, which is the first commandment with a promise, because it says that you may live long in the land. Then the next five are the thou shalt nots. Thou shalt not commit murder or adultery, steal or lie or covet. Those are the Ten Commandments. It's not hard to remember them. Break them down. Know them. And then when I say, are you keeping them? You can say, yes, to the best of my ability with God's help. But Jesus did us a favor and summed them up for us. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then he said the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you'll do those two things, you'll fulfill all the other commandments. What a great summation. Now, you still should learn the Ten Commandments, but what a great summation of the commandments. Then the second and third scriptures that I will use describe two types of sin. 1 John 5, 17 says all wrongdoing is sin. And we call these sins of commission, where you commit a sin. You do something that is wrong. I think that I'll just use ones that we all know are wrong. So how many of you know it's wrong to rob banks? Almost everybody. But I, but I didn't have enough money to pay my bills. And, you know, the bank's got plenty of money. And, you know, they, they are, they're insured. The government will give them that money back. You know, FDIC kind of thing. It's wrong to rob, rob banks. You know it's wrong. So you go out and rob a bank. You have committed a sin. Sins of commission. Do you understand? Committing sins. All wrongdoing is sin. And then James 4.17 says, For whoever knows the good that he ought to do, and does not do it, sins. These are sins of omission. You omit, leave out something that God said to do. God said, do this, and you said no. You said no to the God who owns you, the God who loves you, the God who made you. God says, go to church, and you said Sins of omission, sins of commission, sins of omission. Here's the most important thing, or the most important thing I want you to remember about sin today, to know about sin today is this. Sin is a choice. Write it down, circle it, highlight it. Sin is a choice. It is willful disobedience. And it is never okay. And if you are a Christian, you can choose not to sin. Because as a Christian, Christ Jesus gives you power and strength. As a Christian, you can choose not to sin by choosing to be like Jesus, which is God's ultimate purpose for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29 says that God's ultimate purpose for us is to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. He wants us to be like Jesus. Now, do you see why I ask that question all the time? That's God's ultimate purpose. Anybody want to be like Jesus? God wants us to be like Jesus, his ultimate purpose. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a sinless life. So he is our example, but even Jesus had to fight for it. Jesus battled against sin, and he won. 
We read earlier that he was allowed to be tempted. You remember it said that the Holy Spirit, after Jesus was baptized, led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was not tempted by the Father. He was not tempted by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says God doesn't tempt anybody, but he allows us to be tempted. And he even allowed Jesus to be tempted. And his temptation was the worst ever. He was tempted by the devil himself. And I can assure you that I have never been tempted by the devil himself. There's only one devil He's not like God. He can't be everywhere at the same time. Where do you suppose he is today? Well, he's somewhere in this world, too, tempting somebody, doing something. Where is he? I don't know, but I doubt he's here. With all the stuff, I'm a a small fish, you know, in this big pond of the world. He's somewhere, but probably not here, tempting somebody. But he has demons, but he tempted Jesus himself. Jesus suffered temptation from Satan himself. And he suffered that temptation while he was at his weakness, weakest. He had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil came against him and tempted him. And Jesus did not sin. But he was tempted. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. You know what that shows us? That shows us that it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted by the devil, and the devil threw his best stuff at Jesus, which just shows us how stupid the devil can be sometimes. We give him way too much credit. He can only do what God allows him to do. So he knows he's got his shot at Jesus, and he knew who Jesus was. And he has three chances to get Jesus to sin. And what an idiot Satan is. He takes Jesus to this building, the temple, to the highest point of it. And he says, jump. How many of you would fall for that temptation? (laughs) Jump off this building. And that's the best he could come up with. And Jesus said, the Lord, we don't tempt the Lord our God. The Bible says, because he tried to use the scriptures. Satan tries to use the scriptures. Angels will come and will catch you. They won't let you strike your foot against a stone. Satan knows how to use the Bible, but he uses it perversely. He uses it wrongly. He turns it around. So you need to know the scriptures so that you can overcome like Jesus overcame. It's not a sin to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. So it also shows us that he understands temptation. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Now you may wonder how Jesus could be tempted just like us when Jesus lived on this earth 2,000 years ago and in a very different culture. I doubt that anybody ever came up to Jesus when he was in high school. And I doubt he went to high school, but you'll get the point. I doubt that anybody ever came up to Jesus when he was in high school and offered him marijuana. I doubt. So how was Jesus tempted in the same ways that we are tempted? It's because all sin falls into at least one of these three categories. The Bible gives us three categories of sin. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16, it says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. Now, here's how I describe these three categories of sin. The first one is the lust of the flesh, which I call sensualism. The sensual desires that God gave us, 
but that when we sin with them, it's because they are uncontrolled, uncontrolled sensual desires. I believe it's Joyce Meyer who says that all sin is is natural desire out of control. The sensual desires of our flesh out of control. Maybe you can understand it like this, sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing, even though I don't know about the rock and roll thing anymore, but it worked back when I was a kid. But it's the sensual desires, the things that we long for, for pleasure in the flesh, out of control. Sensual desire, sensualism, the lust of the flesh. Then the second one is the lust of the eyes. In America, we know this one really well, materialism. I've got to have more stuff. Uncontrolled desire for stuff. Something that everybody's flesh always wants is more. I, no matter how much I have or how little I have, we all want the same thing. We all in our flesh want more. And in America, it reveals itself as debt. Here's how it works. Because this uncontrolled desire, if i got to have what I see, we see it, see it, want it, credit. <laughs> see it, want it, credit. And we get ourselves into great debt, and then we say, well, I can't afford to pay tithes. The lust of the eyes, materialism. And then the third thing I call the pride of life, meism. That the whole universe revolves around me. Now, I know that's not a real word, so for those of you who are purists, you can write egotism, and it'll fit there just as well. But it's basically that pride is, it's all about me. Why are you so proud of your family? Because it's your family. It has to do with you. Not, nothing against your family. Love your family. Take care of your family. But pride, the Bible says, is sin. And if somebody can show me one scripture that says it's okay for you to be proud of anything, I'll quit preaching this. But until somebody does, and I've been preaching it for nearly 30 years, pride is sin. And the Bible says, stay away from it. May even be our greatest sin. So Jesus was tempted in all of these areas, and he overcame every temptation every time. And the question is, how? How did he do it? Well, you think he was God. He was fully man, but he was also fully God. Yes, that's true, but he did not overcome by his divine power. Jesus overcame by the word of God. Jesus overcame sin by quoting scripture. It is written. Satan says it is written, but Jesus says, yeah, but it's also written. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Man doesn't live by bread alone and worship the Lord and serve him only. Jesus knew the scriptures. He quoted the scriptures, and he overcame sin, and that's how we can overcome. Psalm 119 and verse number 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So it worked for Jesus, but of course what we all want to know is, can it really happen for us? I'm no Jesus. Can it really happen for me? Listen to these scriptures. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, of course, the key in this scripture is you may ask for anything in my name, which means my will, my authority. You cannot say, oh, dear God, give me success today. I want to rob a bank. You can say that, but he's not going to do it. You understand? When you're asking for something, it has to be in the will of the Father. But he says, you can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it. And he said, you can do what I have been doing. If I did it, you can do it. Jesus overcame sin 
That means that we can too. You believe that it's impossible? Jesus said in Mark 9, 23, everything. Everybody say everything. Everything is possible to him who believes. And so overcoming sin isn't just possible, but for Christians, it is expected. Listen to this scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Verse number 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And here we have the high standard of holiness. Holiness just doesn't get preached enough anymore. Here we have the high standard of holiness. It is not okay to sin. And Christians are expected not to sin. And somebody, not God, but somebody turned that around and said, I sin every day. I can't help it. I'm only human. And what we have done is we have softened the hardcore of the gospel. We've tried to subdue what we must overcome. Just like the Israelites did when God gave them the promised land. Everybody remember that story? Moses delivers them. God, through Moses, delivers them from Egypt. He takes them to the promised land. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And God says, wipe the people out. Drive them out. Kill them. Run them out. Until only the only people that are supposed to be in the promised land are the chosen people, the Israelites. That's what God told them to do. And they didn't do it. They didn't wipe out all the Canaanites. Some of them were in fortified positions way up in the mountains. They're like, they're not in our way. Why even bother with that? Why waste our time and effort and maybe even some lives to try to go after them? Some of them had iron chariots and they were in certain valleys. They said, we don't need that valley anyway. And so they just bypassed many of them and let them stay there. And eventually, because the Israelites became stronger, they started making slaves out of those people. And they even partnered with some of those people. They tried to enslave them and partner with them. And that is not what God said to do. Listen, you cannot enslave sin. Sin enslaves you. And God knew what would happen if they left people in that land, that they would influence the Israelites more than the Israelites were able to influence them. And that's exactly what happened. They became like the people that they were around. Can I say that again so everybody can hear me? They became like the people they were around. And eventually, it cost them everything. Remember, they were supposed to run out the Canaanites. Eventually, God ran out the Israelites. He exiled them from the land of Israel for 70 years. Sin is never your partner. It is always your enemy. It must be overcome. And there is a way. There's a way to overcome sin. Here it is. 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith. 
So do you see how we overcome? We overcome sin by faith. Your strength is in believing God. Hear me now, I didn't say that your strength is in believing in God. The devil believes in God. Your strength is in believing what God says, believing that God is true, believing that he's faithful. Your strength is, I have faith in God. Well, where does your faith come from? Anybody know where faith comes from? Romans 10, 17, hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing God's word. So we overcome exactly the same way Jesus did with the word of God. If you've hidden it in your heart, if you know it, or you can pull it out and look it up, don't you even have to memorize stuff anymore. It's so easy. You got a phone? Look it up. Google it. How do I overcome this temptation? Use the word of God. God will give you faith. We overcome just like Jesus did. You can do it. You can overcome sin. I'm going to tell you how. But first of all, let me remind you. I'm not talking about occasional failure. I'm not saying that Christians never, ever sin, and that if you ever do anything wrong, if you ever fail, then you're not a Christian anymore. I'm not saying that. Everybody get it? No confusion? Everybody kind of get it. Everybody, you're going to, the Bible says there's no one who does not sin. So you don't have to sin, but occasionally you're probably going to sin, and I'm not talking about that today. I'm not talking about occasional failure. I'm talking about continual, habitual sin, strongholds in your life, because the Bible says no one who is born of God will go on sinning. So here's how to win over sin, how to overcome sin in your life. Five steps, and the first one is accept the fact that I don't have to sin. And write it down just like that. I don't have to sin. That's a lie of the devil. That's a lie from hell. No one who is born of God keeps on sinning. You don't have to sin every day. I'm not perfect, but I don't believe that I sin every single day. I don't believe I have to, and I don't believe I do. Now, I'm tempted. We're all tempted, but I heard it said like this one time, temptation versus, temptation versus sin. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. You don't have to give in to it. You, you are tempted, but you can overcome that temptation and overcome sin. You don't have to sin. Number two, spend more time with God. Spend more time with God. If you're struggling in sin, spend more time with God. Not just in prayer. Jesus has been praying for 40 days and 40 nights. That's not how he overcame Satan. The way he overcame Satan was through the word of God. So get into the scriptures. Spend time with God. The more time you spend with him, the more like him you will become. James 4, 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How many of you have been told, just, just resist the devil? All you've got to do is just resist the devil. You can't resist the devil unless, first of all, you have submitted yourself to God. Spend more time with God. Number three, or letter C, seek help from other Christians. God always works through teams. You don't need to tell everybody everything, but you need to tell somebody everything. No secrets in your life. Let somebody help you. Find a Christian that you trust in to help you, to build you up. A Christian, a true Christian, 
not an unbeliever. When it comes to sin, unbelievers can't help you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, which means like coming to church, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is judgment day. Every one of us will stand before God and give an account. Now, as Christians, we're not giving account for our sins because our sins are gone. He won't judge us for our sins. They were judged on the cross. But you will be judged and rewarded or not rewarded for the works that you were supposed to do here as to whether or not you did them. And so there's a judgment day coming. How many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, then you better do what God wants you to do. And if you're not, get help from somebody. Seek accountability. The biggest missing ingredient in the American church is accountability. We love our right to privacy. And you do have a right to privacy. But if you keep things hidden, you keep things in secret. What I learned in therapy is secret keeps secrets keep you sick. And secrets also keep you in sin. You need to tell somebody. You don't necessarily need to tell one person everything. Uh, for instance, I'll just say this. Husbands and wives probably don't need to say every single thing that they think to each other. Because men and women are very different. So men, you need to have a friend in your life. Women, you need to have a friend in your life, somebody that you can open up to. There's no secrets in my life. Every, everything in my life is either known by my wife or my best friend, who's a strong Christian, Don Orr. You've met him. Some of you have met him. You've seen him. Everything in my life, I have no secrets. Secrets keep you sick. Secrets keep you in sin. Life exposes and gets rid of it. Amen? All right. Seek help from other Christians. Number four, letter D, don't be afraid of failure. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this unto you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Now, would John say that if it wasn't possible? I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you sin... Remember that Jesus Christ is interceding for you. Remember that he's already nailed those sins to the cross. So if you sin, here's the biggest thing. If you do sin, or I probably should say when you do occasionally sin, don't worry about it. Worry is a tool of the devil. What did Jesus say about worry? Don't do it. So if Jesus said don't and you do it, what is it? So when you worry about your sin... You're just making things worse. You're adding sin on top of sin. Don't worry about it. Here's what you do. Confess, repent, and move on. Confess, repent, and move on. Your sin, Christian, is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, repent means to change. Don't keep on sinning, but don't worry about it. Sometimes we're going to fail. And God understands. And then the last thing, and I believe this is the key, the key thing is one day at a time. You can start over every single day. 
Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23. God's mercy is brand new. His compassion is brand new every single day. So you can start over every day of your life, including today. So maybe you woke up this morning and you woke up on the wrong side of the bed and you have already blown it. You are here this morning and you have already sinned. And it's barely 12 o'clock. I know it's a little after. I'm hurrying. But it's barely noon and you've already sinned today. You know what you should do? Start your day over. Aren't you glad God gives restarts? Start your day all over right now. Start it afresh right now. God, forgive me. That's gone. And he forgets. So as far as God's concerned, you haven't sinned today. How many is that good news to you? Just restart your day. One day at a time, you don't have to sin. I'm going to pray sinner's prayer in just a minute. And I'd like for everybody to pray this prayer because I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know what kind of sins that you're struggling with. Or maybe there are continual or habitual sins that you know of in your life. And I'm going to pray about those. But before we do that, because of the day that we live in, where right and wrong is so confused, I feel like God wants me to identify some sins that are still sin today, no matter what the culture says. So just let me identify some sins, and I'm not saying that you're committing these sins. I just, I'm just going to identify some sins, and then we're all going to pray together. Are you ready? The first thing that God told me to address is homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. It's not a worse sin than lying, but it's a sin. And so God says you have to repent. Fornication, adultery, all sex outside of a married relationship between a biological man and a biological woman created that way by God in a committed married relationship, all sex outside of that is sin. And that's what the Bible says, and it's very clear. Pornography is sin. Getting drunk or high, which is the same thing, is sin. Slander, which means talking badly about people, is sin. Gossip is sin. Gluttony, as I try not to make eye contact, is sin. Not tithing is sin. Regularly missing church is sin. And, of course, pride is sin. Bow our heads and pray together. Father, I know that you love us so much. I hope that I haven't preached in any way a condemning message because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I thank you, Lord God. There's no condemnation, but there's freedom. Freedom, Lord God. Freedom to be like you. Freedom to receive you. Freedom to overpower the devil. Freedom to conquer sin in every form. And so I thank you, Lord God, for helping us to do that today in the name of Jesus. Now, just pray this prayer. You pray it silently because God's reading your mind as I prayed out loud. But will you just pray this prayer? Pray it for yourself, but also so that you'll know how to pray it with somebody else someday. Dear God, please forgive me for all of my sin. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me for every wrong thing I've done. And I ask you today to be the Lord of my life. I make you, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, today and forever. 
your name I pray. Amen. Okay, will you look at me? You don't have to pray that prayer exactly word for word. But when you're praying for somebody to receive Christ, include at least two things, Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior. Savior means he forgives you for your sins. Lord means you're going to do what he says. And if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. Anybody understand? Heavenly Father, we love you so much and thank you. It's not a great or easy message to preach, but I thank you for helping us to receive it today. And I hope that you've given us understanding both for ourselves and for those to whom we're witnessing. Help us, Lord God, to be your light, I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.